This is Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. Cross Hope is broadcast daily and shares five minutes of hope and encouragement from the Word of God. Our companion website is www.crosshope.org. Now with today's uplifting message, here's Randy. Well, all this week on Cross Hope, the second to the last message in the James series about a picture of the church. This Sunday that was given was uh, Mother's Day. Uh, Mother's Day story to begin, but yet it relates to the rest of the message. So you're listening to the second to the last message from James, the fifth chapter, about a picture of the church. God bless you as you listen. He quotes uh, Gary LaFerla, who wrote a book called Finding Your Way, a story from the records of the United States Naval Institute following the Second World War. Here's the story. The USS Astoria engaged the Japanese during the battle for Savo Island before any other ships from the U.S. Naval Fleet arrived. During this crucial night of battle, August 8, the Astoria scored several hits on a Japanese vessel, but was itself badly damaged and sank the next day. Here's how LaFerla tells the rest of the story. About two in the morning, a young Midwesterner, signalman third class Elgin Staples, was swept overboard by the blast when the Astoria's number one eight-inch gun turret exploded. Wounded in both legs, he was kept afloat. This is an important part of the story. He was kept afloat by a narrow life belt that he managed to activate with a simple trigger mechanism. On board the transport, Staples, hugging that life belt with gratitude, looked at the small piece of equipment for the first time. He scrutinized every stitch of the life belt that had served him so well. He saw that it was manufactured by Firestone Tire and Rubber Company of Akron, Ohio, and it had a registration number on it. Given home leave, Staples told this story and asked his mother, who worked for Firestone in Akron, the purpose of the number on the belt. She replied that the company insisted on personal responsibility for the war effort. And that number was unique and was assigned to only one inspector. Staples remembered everything about the life belt. And so to his mother, he quotes the number. Well, my life belt had this number on it. There was a moment of stunned silence in the room. And then his mother spoke. That was my number. That was my personal code that I affixed to every item I was responsible for approving. Can you imagine the emotion of that moment when a mother working in the war effort in Akron, Ohio, at Firestone Tire and Rubber Company, has her son come home whose life has been saved by this life belt that's activated by pulling a trigger, and it kept him afloat for 10 hours in the water, and realizing she had inspected the very life belt that kept him afloat and kept him alive. You talk about an emotional moment for both mother and son, and yet the thought occurred to me. There are things that mothers do for their children that have little thought or given to it by anyone, but years later have a tremendous impact. You never know the impact you're going to have on a child's life 10 years out, 20 years out, even 30 and 40 and 50 years out. It's a great lesson for every mother and father. What a story. The mother was the one who inspected the life belt that saved her son's life. 
Today we're going to talk in the book of James about a picture of the early church. I'm going to give you a picture of the early church, not from a photograph, but from the biblical description of what James says in the book of James was a picture of the early church. Well, tomorrow we'll read that actual text where it gives us five descriptions of the early church. It really is a a visual picture of what the church is like. Tune in tomorrow, same time, same place. Well, today, part two of a message on Cross Hope from James 5 about a picture of the early church. And we begin with a perhaps a little bit controversial statement that the early church was a praying church. Now, I realize I'm speaking to people from different church backgrounds, and some of you look askance at anyone who prays for healing. Some of you ask, why doesn't everybody pray for healing in every case? God is the healer, and he takes credit for healing. So it makes sense to me that we do pray to him. The early church was a praying church. Let's begin with this first picture of the early church. God bless you as you listen to Cross Hope. It goes like this. Is any one of you in trouble? he should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. What I want to do is just give you very briefly five things that are out of this text that give us a glimpse of what the early church was like, and I want to bring up the first one if we could. The early church was a praying church. So are we. James says this, is any one of you in trouble? And the word trouble in the Greek can mean this, any difficulty at all, any tribulation, any problem. Your first response to any problem in your life, listen carefully, is to pray. You got a problem in your marriage? The first response before you do anything else is pray. Problem with one of your children, the first thing you do before you do anything else is pray. You got a problem at work with your job, the first thing you do is pray. Prayer is not the last resort, it's the first response. The early church was a praying church. I shared this at the first service. I've changed my thinking about an issue that I've said from the pulpit in every church that I've served for years, and I've changed something, which tells you you can change in your thinking. For years, for decades, I would always say this, the highest office in the body of Christ is servant. And I still believe that in a sense. The highest office in the body of Christ is servant. It's not elder, it is not deacon, it is not minister, it's not Bible school teacher, trustee, whatever. The highest office is servant. We're all servants in the body of Christ. But you know what I've changed that to? Greatest, highest office in the body of Christ, get this, is to be an intercessor. It's to be a man or woman or teenager or child who prays on behalf of someone else. That's the highest office in the body of Christ, to intercede on behalf of someone else. Here's my question. Who are you interceding for? Who's the recipient of your prayer? 
Who's out there somewhere benefiting because you pray for them? I think one of the most touching stories out of the Korean War was not some heroic deed in battle. It was a soldier I read about who knew that his mother had promised him that she would pray for him every hour on the hour. In other words, every waking hour, she said, when it's noon, when it's 1 o'clock, it's 2 o'clock. And so he said, you don't know how much that meant to me. Every time I'd look at my watch and it'd be three minutes to 12, my, my mom's going to be praying in three minutes. What a blessing it was. Do you bless anyone with your intercessory prayer where you go to the Lord on behalf of someone else? The early church was a praying church. So are we. Well, we do these programs on Cross Hope uh, two, three, sometimes even four weeks in advance. So I have no idea the day you're listening to this program, what's transpired with the coronavirus in your neighborhood, in your state, whatever the case may be, your region of the country. But I do want you to know that God is still in control. We talk about the picture of the church all this week, that the early church was a praying church, and the early church was also a praising church. We pick it up there today from James 5. God bless you as you listen to Cross Hope. The early church was a praising church. So are we. James says, if any of you in trouble, pray. If any of you are happy, sing songs of praise. Everyone sings a song in life. You say, I don't sing any at all. You may claim that. You don't sing at any time. But let me tell you, tell me what you talk about all the time. And I'll tell you the song you sing. You follow me? What is it you gripe about all the time? That's your song. What's the person you complain about all the time? That's your song. What's the situation at work you talk about all the time? That's your song. We're all singing a song, and we're either singing the song of complaint or a song of praise ultimately in life. Which song do you sing? You know, the book of Psalms, the psalm writer says this, when I complain, my soul grow weary. There's something to be said about continually complaining and then just getting lower in your depression and lower in your despondency, that's not the only cause of depression or despondency. I know there are chemical reasons for it. I understand all that. But the psalm writer was on to something. He said, when I complained and I complained, I just got lower. Sometimes the greatest need in my life is just to start praising and stop complaining. And if you're honest, that's true with you. It's true with you. The early church was a praising church, so are we. Let's give another one. The early church was a healing church. So were we. The early church was not only a healing church in terms of physical healing, but also in terms of spiritual and emotional healing. I talked about this in the first service, and I want to share this with you. Some of you need healing in your heart. Some of you need healing with the past. Some of you need healing with something that happened 30 years ago. And my point is this. God's in the healing business with that too. It's not just physical healing, but there's spiritual healing. Your greatest need is to be forgiven, and that's healing. The greatest act of forgiveness in my life is when the Lord forgave me of my sin because of acceptance of what His Son did on the cross. That's an act of healing. I said this also in the first service. What good is it if you die healthy, but you lose your soul in the process? What good is it if you say, you know, he lived to be 80 years old and he was healthy to the day he took his last breath. 
but he didn't know the Lord. He didn't have a living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What difference would it make to say, I was healthy till the day I died, but I never had a relationship that counted with the Lord. I never experienced the healing of the soul and the healing of the heart. The early church was a healing church. Well, may I ask you a personal question? Where do you need healing in your life? You may have a physical need that needs to be prayed about. I would encourage you to talk to people that are friends and fellow believers to pray with you and get this, pray over you. Isn't that dramatic to have somebody pray over you to perhaps put a hand on your shoulder or on your arm or or head and say, Lord, bless this man, bless this woman in a special way with healing. Most of us need healing of the soul and the spirit. God bless you as you listen tomorrow. The early church was a confessing church. This is a little confusing to some people. It's a little edgy for some people. But verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I know some people in our church grew up in a Catholic background. My mother was Catholic, and I remember her telling me about confession and going to to the, the confessional booth and what was involved in that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what James talked about in the early church, where, get this, Christian people confessed their sins to one another. We don't do this, but how would you feel if we took five minutes of our service every Sunday and said, Turn to the person next to you and confess a sin. Say, I don't know if I'd want to do that. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm right with you on that. I, that would make me uncomfortable too. I understand that. But that's what the early church did. And here's what they did. Here's my theory. They didn't confess sins to one another so they could condemn one another. They didn't confess sins to each other so they could think, well, I can't wait to get to the phone. They didn't do it for that reason. You know what they did it for? To affirm to one another that there is forgiveness and it's in Christ. Don't ever listen to somebody's confession and then say, I can't believe you did that. You know what you should say? God forgives you. That's why he died on the cross and there is forgiveness for you. And you need the forgiveness that I need. And I need what you have. And it's a mutual affirmation of the forgiveness of Christ not a time of mutual condemnation. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, as a result of all four of those things, here's what's going to happen. The early church was an encouraging church. If we could bring that up. The early church was an encouraging church, so are we. I guarantee you, if you are praying and you're praising and you're confessing and praying for healing for people, it's going to be an encouraging church. You need to know the meaning of the word encouragement to appreciate it. Most people think encouragement is giving somebody a high five. That is not encouragement, biblically. Encouragement is not patting someone on the back and saying, way to go, good job. May I tell you what encouragement is biblically? The Bible says to encourage one another daily. It's from the same Greek word to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's the word that means comforter, to come alongside someone else. The greatest act of encouragement is when you come alongside another person, figuratively or literally, and say, I'm with you, praying for you. That's encouragement. 
thought about you this week, prayed for you this week, that's encouragement to let somebody know that you are praying for them and to let them know that you're wanting what's best for them. You know, the best definition of friendship in the Bible is it describes the friendship between Jonathan and David in the Old Testament. Jonathan was David's best friend. And the best description of their friendship is found in the book of 1 Samuel where it says this, Jonathan helped David to find his strength in the Lord. Listen to that again. Jonathan helped David to find his strength in the Lord. Have you ever helped anyone to find their strength in the Lord? We live in a culture where people are told to reach within themselves, and you have the wherewithal, and all you have to do is reach inside you, and you have all the answers to your problems. Folks, that's a lie from the pit. Well, folks, if there ever was a time to encourage one another daily, would it not be now, 2020, with what we're going through with the coronavirus? Encourage someone today to find their strength in the Lord. Crossover.org. Well, all this week, a message from James 5 called The Picture of the Early Church. We conclude with a story told by two brothers in ministry. Bob Russell, who was a minister of a megachurch in Louisville, Kentucky, 18,000 people, and his brother John, who was a minister in northern Kentucky, a large church in the Fort Mitchell, Kentucky area. This story about their relationship is a picture of what our relationship is to be in the body of Christ. See if you don't agree as you listen. It's been tough, John admits, living in the shadow of his brother. But he tells a powerful story out of their days growing up together that I want to share with you as a concluding story. He said Bob was a basketball star in high school in their town in Pennsylvania. They were slated to go to the state championship. Everybody said this is the team that's going to the state finals, the team that Bob Russell is a star for. They came to the sectionals or regionals, however they do it in Pennsylvania, and they were playing a team that they were supposed to beat easily, and you know how it happens in basketball or any sport. The underdogs won. And the team that Bob Russell's team was supposed to beat easily, it didn't happen, they lost. And Bob was crushed that they lost this game in the way to the state finals. The following Monday, the coach asked the team to come in to watch the films. And uh, Bob Russell said, you know, the season's over. Why do we need to watch the films? I don't want to see this film of us getting beat. But the coach said, we're going to watch the film. And here's what happened. John says his brother wept as he watched the game as they were losing and watched them lose the game. But then John tells this story. His brother Bob said, but you know what made it worthwhile? Do you know what made it worthwhile to watch that film? He said, every time that old camera scanned the crowd as it moved from court to court. Bob Russell said, I saw my brother cheering for me. And as I was going down the court, dribbling the ball as a guard, I could see my brother saying, go, Bob, go, Bob, go, Bob. And he said, it made it worth it to see that film, just to see you, John, cheering me on. Here's the thought I want to leave with you. When the films of your life are shown, if we can use that analogy, the DVD, whatever they're going to have in heaven, is of your life is used. I want to get with the program here, the digital video recording of your life. What will it show in terms of you encouraging anybody? Will anybody be able to say, there's, there's my mom encouraging me. There's my dad 
encouraging me. There's my parents praying for me. There's my husband praying for me, my wife praying for me. As the digital video of your life is shown, if there is such a thing going to happen like that, what will it show about your role of encouragement in the life of anybody, in anybody's life? Do you know there's some people that would have to struggle to think of anybody they've encouraged? You realize how many people, all of us, and I'm including me, people we discourage in the course of a year, people we dishearten and discourage, we need to be able to say, God, help us to be encouragers. Help us to be a praying church. Help us to be a praising church. Help us to be a healing church. Help us to be a confessing church, but help us to be an encouraging church, to encourage one another daily. That's not a suggestion of Scripture. It's a command. Encourage one another daily. On this Mother's Day, decide. Decide you're going to be an encourager to somebody on this planet before you leave this earth. Well, next week we'll have the final message in this series from the book of James. I hope it's been a powerful blessing to you. If you'd like to hear more of these messages, maybe that you missed, go to our website, crosshope.org. That's one word, crosshope.org. You've been listening to Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. For more information about this ministry or to re-listen to any message heard on this broadcast, go to our website at crosshope.org. Be sure to join us at this same time each weekday or listen at www.crosshope.org. Cross Hope is listener-supported and is produced by Cross Hope Ministries, Incorporated.